Good evening, ghouls and fiends, and welcome once again to the Ministry of Horror. Uh, if you're watching live on the podcast, on not the podcast feed, on the live stream on uh, uh, Facebook Live, YouTube, Twitch, wherever, you will see that I am not alone for today's show. I am joined by a Ministry of Slam alumni of uh, unexplained possibilities on the uh, also known from the. Uh, is it the dark side of the slam? Um, unexplained side of the slam. That's the one. Sorry, unexplained side <laughs> of the slam. I'm joined by Crimson Mel. Crimson Hello. Mel, how are you today? I am good. Uh, had a little bit of a busy day doing a lot of tarot, but I am good and happy to be here. Really excited. Excellent. I'm happy to have you on the show. We've been uh, we've been discussing this for a little while. Uh, I see we've got uh, Carrie is cool 34 who's my sister, uh, in the chat. Um, and also uh, Fran McCannon says, evening. So we've got, we've got a jam-packed show this evening. We've got a jam-packed show. Um, before we get into the news, uh, some reviews, and then the main discussion point of the show, uh, Mel, I always like to kind of uh, ask a few questions when I have a guest on to get a bit of an insight into uh, their their likes, their, maybe their dislikes, uh, what their interests are with the, within the realm of horror. So could you tell me a bit about kind of your origin story of horror? Like what drew you uh, initially uh, into the genre? Okay, well, with me, it's, it's a little weird because I'm very selective with the type of horror movies I like. And uh, I don't like sense, uh, senseless killing just to kill. Like, that doesn't do it for me. I like things with a little bit of a plot and some reasoning behind it. Uh, and it's going to sound weird, but... And perhaps you can't even consider it true horror, but child's play is actually what drew me in. And it wasn't because I thought it was frightening... I just absolutely love Chucky. I thought he was hilarious. I'm a little kid watching this, and I'm laughing my butt off. Like, oh, my God, he's so funny. Hey, look at him with the knife. I, I don't know what that says about me, but um, but that's actually what drew me into it. It was the characters. It's the, the, the villainous characters and their reasoning for doing whatever they would end up doing. So from Chucky, it went to... Um, I like the supernatural horrors, as you can tell. I, it went to uh, Friday the 13th. Really enjoyed that. Uh, Nightmare on Elm Street. Uh, the first two I liked, I should say. Um, and then it sort of transitioned a little bit to the sci-fi horror, like uh, The Thing and Aliens. Uh, Alien, Aliens, you know. And... I, I noticed that I like this trend of someone being stalked <laughs> and, you know, playing a little psychological game and almost a minimalist approach to the um, to the kills and, and just things happening. But it, it suckered me in. Yeah, uh, for sure. There's um, it, it kind of almost feels like a bit of a lost art in today's cinema. You don't get that many. I kind of tend to think of it as like a stalk and slash um, those those horrors or thrillers where you have that sense of foreboding and uh, almost uh, almost kind of like chase sequences. You know, I mean, Aliens a prime example. Um, I'll see uh, Dan um, Neffy. 
phoned in from uh, on the YouTube. Hi, Dan. Um, Hello, Dan. Well, my sister's saying, same supernatural horror is my favorite. Uh, yeah, it's, um, you know, we've got kind of today's modern horrors like the Malignants and, and the Conjurings, which have their own sort of tone. And I, I love those films. They're great. But yeah, I do really like that. Uh, I like the paranoia from The Thing. Just excellent. <laughs> Who's been infected? You don't know. Yeah, I mean, it, it was very psychological and it, it puts you in there because you can see yourself and asking like, huh, what would I do if this happened or how would I survive? You know, I think when it comes to horror, you have to create it so the viewer becomes part of the movie where they're in there and they're thinking, I wouldn't do that. Why are you doing that, stupid? I would go this way. You know, you become part of it. And that's what makes it so good. And and unfortunately, not too many, you know, horror films in modern times do that. Uh, too, too much, anyway. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Um, and uh, you've, you've kind of talked about some of the uh, the films that brought you, you know, to the genre. Um, as at right now, and this can be films, this could be TV shows, this could be uh, literature... If you had to pick a top three horror in your life, as in, you know, your, your favorite films, books, TV, uh, what would they be currently and uh, and why? Oh, that's a tough one. Um, okay, so, I well, Aliens. I have to say that. Um, aliens, because I do have an interest in extraterrestrial life, and it just it's a sense of fear that you get from there that very few things are able to implement. Like it's just the, and it suckers you in so good and Ripley's amazing and it just keeps you going. Like, how are you going to get out of this? You should be dead. You know, that type of thing. Uh, after aliens, I would, I would again have to say child's play because I love Chucky. And let me, say child's play one through uh i skip over three child's play one two and i like um bride of chucky okay yeah part three yeah so part three uh, it, it i'm just whatever with and um everything after bride of chucky i just no <laughs> but that really got me because of the character of chucky and you know, it's just a must-see because the character... You're not supposed to like the little crazy, scary doll killer, yet how can you not? I mean, he's so outrageous, and he's so creepy. A doll. A doll should not be threatening, yet here he is. And it shows how you can make anything scary and come after you and come to life. I, I just think that's amazing. Did you, and, did you ever catch huh? the TV series of Chucky? I saw some of it, and unfortunately, it didn't speak to me. No. It didn't speak to me, but I will take that over all the recent movies. <laughs> uh, and then um, the last one would have to be The Evil Dead, all of The Evil Deads. Uh, even though the first one is more traditional horror than the other two from the trilogy um, movies, um, it's just so well done. I mean, it's that Ash is killing monsters, 
well, eventually, once he gets brave, he's killing monsters. It's gory. It's bloody. It has its scary moments. And, of course, as it went on, it added comedic elements, which takes away from the horror some, but it can still have that that horror theme going. So, yeah, The Evil Dead. I'm a huge fan of The Evil Dead. Did you enjoy the... Um, the I don't want to say remakes. It's not really a remake. But uh, the... I, I like to call it a retelling. Retelling, yeah, that's a good way of putting it. I did like it. That one, well, it was very much the first movie in the sense of, like, no, we're going traditional. We're going to scare the bejeebus out of you. So I thought it was very good. Yeah, no, I, I enjoyed that one, too. I think they uh, they had a good... They, they didn't have so much of the comedic elements, but they really went full on in the, in the horror. And there's a few scenes in that that I do think are generally quite unsettling um so yeah 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 agreed with that really yeah. enjoyed that right we're gonna now look at some news pieces uh from the uh the last week in horror um first off we have news that scream 6 is going to be releasing in theaters in march 2023 uh it's announced last month paramount and spyglass have ordered up scream 6 in the direct wake of scream's box office success and they now have a release date of March 31st, 2023. I'm not going to read on further because I've still not read, uh, not read, <laughs> not seen Scream 5. Um, Mel, are you a Scream fan? And if so, have you seen the most recent one? I have only seen the first two. Okay. <laughs> because, yeah, I... This is going to sound bad, but I'm not a big fan of you know friday the 13th aside and and halloween some halloweens i'm not a big fan of the uh slashers too too much the teenage slashers mm. and because everyone's so stupid in them <laughs> like like that's my brother just so stupid and uh so i'm really shocked that there's a scream six uh, so soon at that they must have been planning it while they were making part five to begin with because i you know, I can't see them just turning around and doing six so soon. No, it's um, you'd kind of hope that they've already got a uh, a plan for the script in place because what can happen and has happened in the past and no doubt will happen again in the future is a film has such a high level of success that a uh, a sequel is greenlit quite quickly before they've even got a script ready, and uh, I think we had that with. Uh, Halloween 4 going into Halloween 5 I think it was released less than a year later and yeah they really had to rush that uh, rush that script through and I, I do like Halloween 5 but uh, you can tell that some ideas were kind of just we need to get something going because we need to hit while the you know strike while the iron's hot um, but like you say hopefully they've got something in the pipeline uh, for the for the quick turnaround on that uh, next up in the news um, I'll, I'll pop this link from bloodydisgusting.com in the uh, in the live chat. Uh, hi, Gruff. Gruff says, evening, everyone. And uh, Fran Akan says, the reimagining of Evil Dead was great. Thoroughly agree. Um, the poster has been released. Creepy poster from A24, who are a studio I love, uh, for a new film called Men, uh, with a full trailer coming tomorrow. Uh, there's been a teaser trailer, which I think may be in the link. Uh, but it's the new Alex Garland film, who is the writer-director of Ex Machina and Annihilation. Um, Men stars Oscar nominee Jesse Buckley, 
and uh, hmm. the film follows a young woman who goes on a solo vacation to the English countryside after the death of her ex-husband. That's all we've got to go on so far. Um, the teaser trailer really didn't tell us much, but it had a quite a creepy tone. So I believe tomorrow we should get the full trailer. Um, yeah, interested, interested to watch this. Um, have you heard much about this film, Mel? I have not, but from that little description you just read, I'm wondering if it's going to be like a horror version of P.S. I Love You. Ooh, could be. That would be pretty interesting. Um, I mean, Alex Garland, I, I, don't, I don't remember a great deal about Annihilation, to be honest, but Ex Machina had a good level of that kind of sort of, uh, how would you describe it? It's kind of like low-key, futuristic kind of sci-fi dread but on a very small scale it's you yeah. know small cast on that but uh yeah men trailer comes out tomorrow um next up uh got just a couple little bits uh little bits to add on uh supernatural tv series uh which i never finished but i did enjoy i think i just got a little bit burnt out next to so much of it uh, there is a prequel series titled The Winchesters, and it's currently in the works. Uh, the CW have ordered a pilot episode. Uh, casting is currently on the uh, underway for the pilot. Uh, Variety reports that Meg Donnelly of American Housewife and Drake Roger from The Inbetweens, I've not heard of either of those, um, have been cast as the younger versions of John and Mary Winchester, the duo that the Supernatural prequel will center on. Um, the older versions of these characters were played in the original Supernatural series by Jeffrey Dean Morgan um, of Watchmen and The Walking Dead fame and uh, Samantha Smith. So, um, Mel, do you know much about the Supernatural TV series? Did you ever, did you ever watch that? <laughs> that? That's, yes. <laughs> I love Supernatural. That is one of my favorite TV series ever. Uh, so you're pretty hyped for the, uh, for the prequel series? No, I'm oh. not. <laughs> <laughs> well, and it's it's because um, the characters of uh, Mary and John, they, I, I don't want to spoil it for people who haven't seen the show, but how they started and where they ended up is it. Uh, a 180 happened. Okay. And to me, it took away from their characters. And I think with the prequel series, it's going to hurt their legacy a little bit more than help it. So I don't think, as much as I love Supernatural, I really love Supernatural. It pains me to say that I don't think the Winchesters is going to be that good. You know, I, so I, I, I did love Supernatural and I never stopped watching it because of anything it's not like uh the walking dead which for me i just got burnt out on it it got to a point maybe a season or so after after negan um appeared where i just i I kind of lost interest supernatural i did really enjoy but i think i just started falling behind on it and never really never really caught up um i see the gruff uh said uh i loved supernatural until season eight then got bored too uh, my sister um, says that she's not seen it, but she needs to get around to it. Uh, Fran Cannon loved Supernatural. And the, the Gruff says, Past, part of the reason Supernatural was so good was the Winchester brothers. So I have no interest in watching if they aren't there. I don't care about prequel stuff for the series. Um, I think it was probably for me, I don't know. I 
think it may be season 10 or 11 maybe they'd introduced this uh the, the book of men group or the something of men uh part men of letters, men of letters that's the one and yeah i think at that point i just i thought the first five six seven seasons were, were really good really strong mm-hmm. and concise and you get to a certain point with supernatural shows and i think it you know happens to every sort of show like uh, like buffy and an angel and so on so on where you have a big bad for the season how do you top that the next season you have to have something yeah. that's even bigger even more destructive and they did a really good that you know they had so many great seasons of that but it is definitely on my to finish you know i recently started season one again um but yeah i i probably agree with you with regards and agree with everyone in the chat with regards to the uh the prequel ideas i've got zero interest in uh, in watching their parents uh not for me not for me um r- real quick i'll i'll say this like season one of supernatural i thought is pretty bad i don't like season okay. one but the first five seasons sets the tone and it was only supposed to be a five season show uh, the creator wanted that. He was like, no, no more than this. And that's why he stepped down. But show was so popular, they continued on. And um, most of the hardcore fans, they will say that the Gamble era, season six and seven. Mm, yeah, okay. <laughs> that's the dark times. But ultimately, I, I agree with you because. The later seasons, I still like them, but they're not as good as the earlier season. And it's because the big bad had to get bigger and badder every time. And then it became even more unbelievable. And and that hurts, you know. So Yeah. Yeah. I mean I'll I'll I'm not even gonna say I'll I'll check this out when it comes out. I'll see what the general kind of buzz is at the time, you know, if there's uh, any kind of goodwill towards it or uh, or not. Um, Franakan says he has some uh, some faith that this might be good. Uh, Jensen Eccles has been working on this, um, and I I think I heard about that. Um, Jensen Eccles appeared on oh, I can't remember the actor's name, but he played um, Lex Luthor in Smallville. He does a podcast, and um, he had Jensen Eccles on, and they talked about a bit of a bit of an annoyance between um, Jared Padalecki uh, and Jensen because Jared didn't know about this being in production and then a news report had come out while Jensen was kind of in the initial stages working on it and then obviously if he doesn't know about it and then it comes out in the news as opposed to hearing it directly it's just one of those kind of bit of bad communication which created a little bit of a little bit of bad blood but I think they they quickly resolved that so yeah we'll see we'll see the supernatural prequel series um and last up on the news some sad news uh, Friday the Thirteenth Part Two actor Jack Marks has passed away. Hmm. Um, the, the the news comes from fellow Friday the Thirteenth Part Two actor Bill Randolph. Uh, the sad news that Jack Marks, best known to horror fans for his role in the 1981 sequel, has passed away. Uh, he played Deputy Winslow in Friday the Thirteenth Part Two, who chases an adult Jason Voorhees through the woods. Arriving at his shack, Jason kills the deputy with a hammer. Um, doesn't say, doesn't say his age, but, um, I mean, I think in part two, he was quite a a grizzled, 
uh, a grizzled deputy. So he he was probably he probably had some good innings, but um, oh here we go. He uh, died he died peacefully just short of his eighty seventh birthday, and he'd been with his wife for thirty nine years. Uh, yeah, sad news for the horror community, but um, there we go. Right now we're gonna do we're gonna do some reviews. We're gonna get, do some little reviews, Mal. I've got two films and I've got a little bit of a book club chat. So let's transition to our other screen. That's not what we're reviewing. Uh, we, <laughs> we're going to be first off uh, reviewing an English horror film called In the Earth. Um, it's been on my little to-watch list for a little while. Finally got around to watching it at uh, the weekend. It's a 2021 horror film written and directed by Ben Wheatley. It's a British and uh, American co-production. It stars, stars Joel Fry, who TV uh, viewers may recognize from... He was in a... Roman era comedy called Plebs, which was pretty good in the first first couple of seasons. It was kind of like the in betweeners, but in the Roman era. Um, but also, he's known for I can't remember the, the character's name, but he was in Game of Thrones. Uh, I think he was going to be married or married um, Khaleesi, and then got burnt alive by a dragon. Spoiler alert. Anyway, he stars in it with uh, Reese Shearsmith, Hayley Squires, Laura Torchia, John Hollingworth, and Mark Monero. Um, this, but the the general gist of this is it's set during a pandemic epidemic type era, so you can kind of tell that it was filmed, you know, during the the height of the pandemic. It's quite a small cast, but um, a scientist, Martin Lowry, uh, is sent to a government-controlled outpost in a fertile forest area outside of Bristol help in studies and experiments of his former colleague and his ex-lover, Olivia Wendell, uh, regarding using mycorrhiza um, to increase crop efficiency. Um, so generally, he has gone into this, this forest to try and find this associate. But they come across Reese Shearsmith's character. Now, I won't go into too much of it because I don't want to give too much away from the film, but there is uh, a real kind of um, oldie times cult element. Um, there's talk of can the, can the forest or can parts of the forest communicate and do they have nefarious uh, intents? There's also kind of a stone uh, obelisk in the middle of the forest and one part of the group is looking at this from a scientific uh, standpoint. Another part is looking at it from a kind of like a pagan god uh, standpoint. It's uh, I enjoyed the film. I would I'd recommend giving it a watch. It, if you've ever seen any Ben Wheatley stuff, such as um, names of the films, God, I've got a terrible memory. Uh, he did Kill List. He did Sightseers, which is a very a very good dark comedy. Uh, a field in England, which is a really just a, an attack on the senses. Um, it's got his signature style. There's a couple of moments where it seems. Um, oh, Joseph Dyer. Okay, this is nothing like the wrestling pod. Very strange mix, especially after the live video gameplay. I'll give MOS another one. It's yeah. This is the um, the once a week horror show, Joseph Dyer. It's not going to be for everyone, but I appreciate you stopping by. And hopefully, you find something you like on it. Um, definitely something worth watching there's a couple of moments though where it's almost like they switched from these high stylized cameras to kind of like cameras it's really hard to describe but uh i don't know 
does it does it pique your interest at all, Crimson Mal? Have you seen In the Earth? I have not, but I am. Oh, it, hmm, that was weird. Uh, I have not, but I am interested in it. And um, I have my pendulum here because we're going to talk to some spirits, too, and see if they're interested in it. Okay. Which, um, what would you like to be? Yes. And what would you like to be? No. All right. So go ahead and ask them if they're interested in it, Taz. Okay, spirits, are you interested in the uh, semi-pagan horror film In the Earth? You're getting a very, very strong Yes. Uh, you know, I, I would definitely say it's one worth a watch. I mean, with any of the recent reviews we've had on, we've had a lot of Shudder exclusives, and they've really kind of missed the mark a bit. This this is not a Shudder exclusive. Uh, I caught this on Sky in the UK, Sky Cinema. My score for it is a 7 out of 10. I think it's a strong film. I think the ending was a little... I know we don't, we've talked about this before, but the ending was a little ambiguous, um, oh. <laughs> which... I don't really like unless it's done well. Um, but other than literally probably the final frame of the film, I think it's quite a, quite a good attack on the senses, especially some of the very trippy scenes. Uh, next up, we have a recent Disney Plus exclusive. I know you're probably thinking Disney Plus on the Horror Channel. What are you talking about? Uh, it's the new uh, Sebastian Stan film, who most people know as the Winter Soldier, Fresh. Uh, it's a 2022 American comedy thriller, but it's it's got some horror elements. Uh, directed by Mimi Cave in her directorial debut, from a screenplay by Lauren Kahn, and it stars Daisy Edgar Jones and Sebastian Stan. I really enjoyed this. I really enjoyed this. So, it's uh, the 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 little blurb about this is uh, the plot follows a young woman played by Daisy Edgar Jones. Uh, who starts dating a charming man. So she's a she's kind of she's one of those perennial singles in that, you know, she'll go on dates and it just never really clicks. And friends are all getting relationships and whatnot and uh you know, she hasn't had much of a um I think her, her parents or her mum or dad may have passed away when she was young. So she's kind of she's been fairly solitary but you know, a good friend base. And doesn't really meet any anyone. Um she happens to bump into Sebastian Stan's character, and they start dating, uh, only to discover only to discover his horrifying true nature. This is difficult because you can't really say too much without giving away a huge part of the film. Um, but take the title, fresh. Make your own assumptions off about what that may mean. Um, have you seen this film? Have you heard about this film, Mel? No, this is the first time I'm hearing about it, and it makes me think of two things. Uh, this old Disney Channel movie where it's like my mom's dating a vampire or something like that. Okay, okay. And uh, this 80s movie, and I can't really remember the name of it, but it was about a guy who dies, but he comes back as a freaking zombie. And he's decaying, and he wants the prom date, and... I cannot think of the name of it. So with the fresh, I'm like, is this a zombie thing <laughs> or Ooh. is this a vampire thing? Ooh, that's uh, I'll I'll say. Uh, do I say anything to give anything away? Um, the gruffs uh, the gruff caught this uh, last night. Says really enjoyed it. Um, now this is one thing. The soundtrack to this film is incredible. Like, I I love hard rock, heavy metal, 
all that stuff. But I have a soft spot for synth, a lot of 80s music. And this um, this had the Saturday Night Main Event thing, talking about Ministry of Slam uh, wrestling, um, Obsession, which the name escapes me of the of the group that did it, but that is a banging song, and that's got <laughs> there's there's quite a cool there's quite a cool scene in it where uh, again I can't really say anything without giving away a huge uh, a huge element of the plot twist. That's not really a plot twist; it's the the general theme of the film. But I would say, don't read up anything about this film uh, if you've got any interest in it. It's there's there's dark comedy in it, um, and there's the general kind of theme is quite horrifying. Um, and that's kind of really all I want to say on the film, other than I would give it an, oh, not even a 7 out of 10, I'm giving it an 8 out of 10. Um, should we ask the spirits? If the spirits are interested in watching Fresh. Um, go ahead and ask. Spirits, uh, is there any interest in watching the 2022 um, Sebastian Stan, Daisy Edgar Jones film, Fresh? They're giving a very hard no. They're not interested in this one. Okay, okay. What, would you guys prefer something like Poltergeist? Now, you see that shift, right? There's, yeah, this, there's not, there's no supernatural element in this film. It's, it's, uh, again, I can't really say much. Um, yeah, you just, let's move on. Let's, you gotta hush. Let's move on. <laughs> uh, Animotion, uh, Gruff says, uh, he thinks the uh, the group but yeah, Obsession, Saturday Night Main Event theme, banging, banging. Uh, we'll now do a little bit of discussion on the book club, and then we're going to get into the main the main event of the show. So, The Forbidden. Oh, right, there's my picture of it. There we go, creepy picture. So, last week we discussed the short story, Midnight Meat Train, uh, from Books of Blood, Volume 1, by Clive Barker. I loved it. I thought, why have I taken so long to really get into reading uh, Clive Barker? This week, we have done The Forbidden, which uh, is in Books of Blood, Volume 5. My goodness. This was the basis for the film Candyman, which there's been now four films. Uh, Candyman, Candyman, Day of the Dead, Farewell to the Flesh, and then the recent Candyman, which is a reboot sequel. I'm not, I've not seen it because Candyman's. I like Candyman, but it's not my go-to franchise. Hmm. Anyway, this is a really interesting read. Um, again, it's a tight, concise story. It's about thirty pages long. It follows um, this uh, this woman, this kind of uh, art major called uh, called Helen, uh, who's gone to, and I believe this is set in Liverpool, as opposed to as opposed to uh, America. She's gone to these kind of dilapidated areas uh, where crime runs rampant. Um, there's graffiti everywhere, and it's the graffiti that interests her. She finds she kind of goes into this uh, apartment block where there's an abandoned apartment, and she sees this huge mural on the wall of this really creepy kind of... Uh, it's a face that's surrounding the entranceway of this door, so like the door's the centre of the mouth. And that is represented in the film. I believe there's a scene of that. But this is where it kind of differs a bit. The The ending of the book, kind of similar to the film, uh, there's a, a mention of this phrase, sweets for the sweet, that's also represented in the film. But I, I think he may refer to himself 
once as the Candyman when he appears. There's none of this say his name five times in the mirror. That's something that's entirely done for the for the cinematic adaptation story. Um, it's quite grisly. Um, the 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 elements of his name um, and his notoriety kind of being what what makes him alive uh, is something which is you kind of get that's that element played on in like the the films do play on that a bit but also nightmare on elm street you know the power comes from the fear people you know being afraid of this omnipotent killing uh entity um kind of drive and create create his power even more but there's none of the backstory that the film has about you know the uh what was it he um he was a an aristocratic gentleman but from a you know a, a darker past um who was accused of something he didn't do and was uh, murdered uh, had bees covered his body had his hand cut off and replaced with a hook all that stuff so the film has done quite a lot more to expand this story and add to it than than the the actual short does but it's good it's definitely one worth a read um mel are you are you familiar with uh, much of clive barker's work not too much, but I am familiar with Candyman. A little bit about the Forbidden. Uh, I I really enjoyed the first Candyman, so um, so I'm somewhat familiar with this origins. And I the the supernatural paranormal part of me is coming out. So I have to say it is something to that mirror thing and saying a name several times. Um, you can see mirrors kind of like portals which is why they say don't have two mirrors facing each other because you can create a portal which spirits pass through. So you saying that name, feeding it that energy, you can possibly cause something to appear and walk through, even if you don't know it. So be very careful with mirrors and things facing them. Okay, so is that... Do you think maybe they kind of, um, in the in the film, took some elements of... The uh, the Bloody Mary story, because that's, yeah. that's related to saying the name in front of the mirror, isn't it? Yep. Uh, I definitely think they do. Uh, they did, because, uh, and with mirrors, they use them in seance, seances and things of that nature as well. So they, they're using a little bit of lore with Bloody Mary, as well as actual things that people do for some type of divination to communicate. So it's it's a mix going on in there. Um yeah, it's one of those one of those things where like I'm as I was saying to Mel before the show started, I'm I am a skeptic, but I'm an open minded skeptic. I'll very much I'll try and look for a logical explanation for things. But uh, you know, if something occurs, I experience something I can't explain, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna shut it down. Um that being said, with being a skeptic, one, I would never play with a Ouija board, even though <laughs> in my logical head I think, well, you know, nothing's going to happen. I'm still not going to attempt it. And uh, and saying the name, you know, like uh, the legend of Bloody Mary, saying, uh, as Fran McCann said, saying that name in front of a mirror, I, you know, I'm not going to chance it. <laughs> right, excellent. Now we're going to get to the... Uh, to the main part of the show now um now mel we're going to be talking about uh five horror films that deal with the paranormal uh but you're going to talk me through the 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 reality 
behind those those stories those concepts is that right yep or to the best of my ability <laughs> excellent well, i mean it could just all be nonsense and we'll just say yeah, it's nonsense next <laughs> no 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 I'm, I'm looking forward to it i'm looking forward to it um we're going to start off with uh 2001 supernatural horror film 13 ghosts um it's a it's a remake of a 1960 film uh, by william castle um, but this film stars Tony Shalob, um, M. Beth Davids, Matthew Lillard, uh, and Shannon Al- uh, Elizabeth with Alec Roberts, Ra Digger, and F. Murray Abraham. Um, so there's a, there's a big old synopsis here, but it's, uh, it's generally about a ghost hunter and a psychic uh, who lead a team on a mission to capture a spirit called the Juggernaut. Um, and they go into this quite elaborate house that... Uh, whew, you could say it's haunted, but that's probably going to be a bit of an understatement, right? Yes. So uh, I, I've seen this film quite a long time ago, but um, yeah, we don't have a. We can kind of go through the the hit points of the plot. Um, Dennis, who's the uh, psychic assistant, uh, meets the family. They tour the mansion. The res the residence is made entirely of glass sheets inscribed with Latin phrases. Uh, which Dennis recognizes as barrier spells. He discovers that the 12 angry ghosts he and Cyrus captured and imprisoned in the house are held captive by the spells. Uh, and th- I think it's at this point that uh, the, we start seeing a number of these different ghosts and things start going quite wrong. Talk me through the, uh, the reality behind, behind 13 ghosts in a situation such as this. Um... Well, funnily enough, there's a little bit of legit paranormal theory involved with it because, you know, they're they're capturing ghosts for whatever. I mean, and let's get this out the way. Towards the end, it gets cheesy, you know, unfortunately. But during the meat of it, it's where it's like, whoa. So they're they're capturing ghosts and they're trying to use their power um, to get whatever machine going, perhaps for immortality. I can't I can't exactly remember what it was for, but it was to power a machine, and they needed different ghosts who did or died of different causes. So I think the Juggernaut was like a crazy killer with a hammer. You had the lovers, uh, the mother who overfed her child and, you know, very interesting with the ghosts and the personalities. Um, the capturing of them has some legitimacy in reality. Um, first person I think of, his name is Robert Bess, and he created what's called the para, the Parabot. And what this is, is a box, a four-sided box made of some type of plexiglass, if not plexiglass, and it's just straight-up glass. And inside of it is a Tesla coil. And ghosts or spirits work off of electromagnetic fields and pulses. They, They can feed off that electromagnetic energy. So the Tesla coil is supposed to draw them in and keep them in, which, you know, they're locked in a prison almost as long as this Tesla coil is going. 
so 13 ghosts we see in there that they have these type of glass with um interesting wording on it we'll say it's ancient wording that keep the ghosts in place they can't pass it and all of that and there are some inscriptions some that are said to keep spirits from entering in uh from moving from place to place so them being trapped it's a little bit of reality there uh them being irritated more of a reality (laughs) um them being controlled less of a reality um you will not be able to control a spirit you can have dominance over them you can have power over them but you can't exactly control them and i guess in a way in the movie they never really had control either did they um when things go wrong because of the irritation from spirit they're they're irritated after everything that happens they can lash out you can be hurt by them yes it can lead to death this has happened it will happen but it doesn't happen instantly no ghost or spirit deity they're not going to snap their fingers you're dead they they can't exactly interact with this physical reality as we see in the movie it just it doesn't work that way uh them wearing special glasses so they can see them and stuff like that i won't say it's impossible but i'll say right now it doesn't exist um you know if you want to see a spirit then you're going to have to hope it has enough energy to manifest in front of you and then it'll just leave and it'll be a glimpse. It's almost like when you see something from the corner of your eye, it it will be like that. Or they're going to come to you in a dream or something like that. But as far as seeing them, seeing them, looking at them go this way and that way, no. And them interacting with the physical environment like that harming you. No, I mean, it has to be something very, very strong. And it has to, it will use up all of its energy to interact, which I'm sure you've heard stories of people, you know, levitating and, mm. and crawling up a wall or something like that, which they happen, but very, very, very rarely. Uh, the other good thing about 13 Ghosts is um, they were all human spirits. And um, that's more likely what you're going to encounter that's angry and disturbed. It's going to be a human spirit. It's not going to be a quote-unquote demon or or pagan spirit or something like that. It's going to be a uh, disturbed human energy. And I will tell you, the ones you want to watch out for are ones that used to be drug addicts in life and the ones that were just mentally not all there. You Sometimes you carry that when you pass over and the energy they give off, it's just, it's nasty, it's dark, it's depressing, and they feed, and you mentioned fear earlier uh, with uh, The Forbidden, and it's something to that, that fear fear that comes off of us we always release energy they soak that mess up 
and that's partially why they want us to be afraid. And that's why if you show no fear, you show dominance, they back off. It's like, oh, what's the point? I can't feed off of you. Um, but yeah, the, the them having the human spirits and everything, that's very, very accurate, even if they didn't intend for it to be. And the they the way they look as well, they did a good job because in death, you know, we can look like what we were when we passed away, or we could change it up into something more monstrous if you want, or maybe something a little bit more peaceful and trickster-like. Okay, okay. Um, we've got a couple of comments uh, in the chat. Um, Carrie is cool, 34, so the jackal always freaked, uh, freaked her out. Uh, the gruff, some of the ghost designs are really good. Uh, reminds me of Silent Hill stuff, uh, which I can mm -hmm. certainly see. There's kind of, uh, like you say, they're, they're human, although well, they were originally human, but there's like a distortion, like um, the, uh, the, the aspects of their personalities are kind of amp amplified in the, in the spirit realm. Um, Carrie's Cool also says that uh, she has a Tesla purple plate um, hasn't heard of the coil, but um, very interesting. So look into it. Uh, do you know what a Tesla purple plate is? I've seen them. Uh, there was an experiment done with... Actually, Darren Evans was part of this experiment. And um, they were using that. And I think they got contact. But they mixed it. They used it in relation with the Tesla coil. Um, and Fran the Cannon um, also says, uh, I never felt that they had control. That's why the house needed to move about, to funnel them to the device in the center. Um, I mean, I really can't remember too much about this film because it's been so long uh, since I've seen it. I just distinctly remember someone getting their back broken against the corner. Of oh, yeah. That was um, that was the psychic. Yeah, that, that scene. I remember <laughs> seeing that as a, as a kid and uh, that, that yeah, the, I think that was the juggernaut who who did that. A fitting name. Uh, very very intimidating, uh, intimidating ghost. Um, so yeah, I mean, I guess one of the points that really kind of stuck out to me that you mentioned about um, there being some trace of, uh, of reality is um the inscriptions that uh, can keep or can ward off um, spirits. Um, I've always been kind of interested as to. I guess how do people discover what what words work and what words don't, or you know what what inscriptions well, like Latin or? Well, that that's the beauty of it. Basically, anything will work if it's about intent and the energy you put into it. I mean, you can just write out "be gone" if you empower that "be gone." If you believe in it and your intent. And your will is to keep things out. Not saying it's going to work 100%, but it will work at least 80%. You know, it, of course, it depends on what's trying to enter. But, you know, so it's almost like a weird psychological mind game. Um, the more you believe something, the more energy you feed it, the stronger it becomes. And it's almost creating and bringing it into a reality, even if, even if it's nothing. Um, so with inscriptions, you know, they're just words. 
it's nothing really to it. They're, they're just words. But because of so much energy over the years that was fed into it, so much belief and will, intent, it becomes something. And it becomes, in this case, we'll say awarding. And it's like, nope, you can't pass here because that's how much power it has. It has more power than you're able to muster to get through. And I guess... Um... Something else that's kind of popped into my head, which could apply to a number of these, a uh, number of these other films. Um, when when talking about the reality uh, versus the uh, the fiction on screen uh, or or in literature, what would you say is more feasible for a spirit to haunt location, which generally you know like haunted houses, haunted buildings, you know, or spirits being I suppose in this case collected um or spirits latching on to to an individual or to an object um what what has more kind of basis in reality or are they all kind of quite possible um well they're all possible because they all happen but chances are they're going to be attached to a location before an object or an individual and uh for a spirit to be attached to an individual, I mean, that person has to go to the location and, you know, and then it'll jump on them for whatever reason. And even then, that spirit is still attached to that location as well. Because if you get them off of you, they go right back. Just whoop. Um, same with an object. You know, sometimes spirits are forcibly attached to objects. Uh, in fact, I don't want to say his name because I don't agree with what he does, but there's a person who makes scrying mirrors and he binds spirits to said scrying mirrors to where, uh, to where when you're doing a scrying session or whatever, you will see it. You will see something. And um, they're not happy. You know, you should not do that. Um, what's, uh, what's a scrying Session. What? A scrying mirror is a tool. It's a mirror. Usually it's black. And you look into it. You stare into it. And the energy that you're putting into it, it allows you to see. Well, it's hard to explain. Sometimes you can see spirits through it. Sometimes you'll see your higher self. Uh, basically, your your spiritual side. We'll just to keep it simple. Um you might be able to see future events. It, it depends on what you're trying to see, but it's used a lot for shadow work. Uh, shadow work is, <laughs> boy, we're going places, aren't we? <laughs> shadow work is basically inner working. It is bringing out things that haunt you, your personal demons, out into the surface, recognizing it, accepting them, and and dealing with them instead of hiding it and pretending like it doesn't exist. So it's a form of therapy. Uh, Carl Jung actually spoke about shadow work uh, a few times. So very interesting subject to look into. Yeah. Um, so with scrying mirrors, some people use it for that. Uh, sometimes they use it to try and contact aliens uh, by just staring into this black mirror. And you literally do that. You stare and you try to get everything out of your mind and 
boy. And usually, again, it's a, sometimes it's a spirit inside of the mirror, and they might show themselves. They might give you information, et cetera, et cetera. Ooh, we'll see. The, the curiosity side of me thinks, oh, yeah, that'd be quite interesting to do. But then the trepidation <laughs> side thinks, oh, God, what if I see something that just freaks me out? Yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> you got to be careful with scrying mirrors. I, uh, my sister says that uh, she's done that before. It's very interesting how your face changes. Yeah. Right. Um, there's a picture on Unexplained Possibilities Facebook page. It might be buried down, but my uh, witch friend, she did a scrying mirror and she was able to snap a picture at the right time where you can just, you can totally see her face looks different. Like it almost looks cat like. Oh, wow. Uh, from when she snapped it. So. I'm gonna have to I'm gonna have to dig that out. Gonna have to dig that out for sure. That's uh, that's really. Yeah, I will hunt it down for oh, you. Definitely. Awesome. Awesome. Um. So I guess. Uh, do we have anything else uh, relating to the, the 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 paranormal reality relating to Thirteen Ghosts? Or do you reckon we move on to the next film? Um. I will say that usually when something is free of its bindings. That's not a good thing. Okay. Because now it's free to roam around <laughs> and um, don't be on his bad side. So the, with 13 ghosts, the, the ghost became free and everything. And they kind of made it seem like it was a good thing. Like, oh, they're free and happy. Uh, that's not a good thing. <laughs> Those are 12 angry ghosts. So, yeah, not good. Usually you want to keep them at that location. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I guess uh, there's a difference between ghosts being trapped that, you know, I suppose are just people that have passed and uh, they need to kind of move on to ghosts of, like, murderers and, uh, you know, this, that and the other, where it's probably best that they stay in the one location and uh, people don't visit it. Yeah, exactly. Okay, we're going we're gonna to look now at... Uh, I think this is probably my most looked forward to actually to discuss on the list because I think it's such such an excellent film and it's uh, you know I, I, anything sort of satanic has my interest like I'm not like into you know I'm not religious I'll just say but um, I always find the the concept the iconography very interesting from a from a story theatrical aspect and that is the classic 1976 supernatural horror film directed by Richard Donner and written by David Seltzer, The Omen. Boy, howdy, if you've not seen The Omen, what are you doing? Go and watch The Omen. The, the general plot line, which, if people aren't familiar with the film, haven't seen the film, it's probably been satirized in pop culture. Um, you know, The film is, it's, like I say, 1976, but it has had a, a, a remake in the mid-2000s, which was remember it was all right but you know it's obviously not as good but it also had its own trilogy and a, and a fourth that was a director directed to vhs so the plot follows damien thorne a young child replaced at birth by his father unbeknownst to his wife after their biological child dies shortly after birth a series of mysterious events and violent deaths occur around the family and damien enters enters childhood they come to learn that he is, in fact, the prophesied Antichrist. 
my god this i mean from a from a theatrical standpoint it's such a good story so original um it's also got one of the best uh death scenes in it because the death scene kind of comes out of nowhere but it's all playing part of this this uh higher or lower power depending on how you want to look at it um instilled in this uh this child uh who who's the antichrist who i think is even it's hinted at as birthed out of a jackal or something when they go to find it's mm-hmm. the, the birth parents actual actual grave but before we before i gush any more about my love for the film the omen um mel let, let's talk about the reality behind this um well the omen actually came out too early in my opinion okay and I, only, I say that only because the satanic panic happened in the 80s. So could you imagine oh, God. if the omen came out <laughs> during the satanic panic of the 80s? It's kind of strange because this is one of the most uh, iconic satanic-based films. And yeah, like you say, you'd, you'd kind of think that this film might have sparked that uh that that satanic panic but but yeah there was a real buzz around uh the the US the UK in regards to the influence of uh satanic media or as it was kind of described as but yeah i guess this kind of um this kind of beat that uh, beat that era to it really i guess the sequels... yeah just yeah the sequels were in the 80s but i don't talk about the sequels uh <laughs> Well, part two maybe, but the other ones. Uh... You'll never seen the third. Um, I, I, I do like I do like the second, but I've never I've just never got around to watching the third. Is it not? You know, you should you should watch the third just for Sam Neill and just to have a conclusion and pretend the fourth does not exist. Okay, the fourth one, very good. And uh, the 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 two thousand six one, it was okay. I mean, it's honestly, it's almost a shot for shot remake, mm. just modern. You know, it, it's okay. I don't think it's... It just can't compare to the original, of course. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, so The Omen is interesting being that, you know, it's satanic. And the funny thing is, Satanists don't actually believe in Satan or the devil. Um, they Some of them believe in Lucifer, but it's going to go places. So, <laughs> you know, if anyone's religious, and you know... Listen, please, I encourage you to, but, you know, send the hate mail to Tess. <laughs> um, I uh, welcome it. But when, when, it, when it comes to Satan in general, there is no Satan. Satan is a, um, it's a title. It's not an entity. I mean, any entity can say I'm Satan or Satan. It, it's a title. Uh, so... The spawn of Satan is more like, well, which one? You know, <laughs> it's that type of thing we have happening. But being that this is based off of uh, Abrahamic lore, then usually we say Lucifer is the devil or Satan. So I guess we're looking at a spawn of Lucifer. But then saying that, you have to remember, Lucifer is an angel. And he's not demonic. He's not a demon. And the powers that Damien has... I mean, well, angels can do what demons can do, et cetera, et cetera. But he's more liable to be a rebel than he is a killer because Lucifer, he's not a killer. 
the Morning Star. He's a rebel, and he's never made anyone do anything that they weren't already going to do themselves or weren't capable of doing themselves. And again, this is going places. Um, <laughs> so it's a little psychological thing to it. But um, as far as the Antichrist thing, it's very weird because some have said there's been several Antichrists already. Uh, when I was younger, I thought George Bush was... <laughs> What's Elm? You know, that's uh, W. I love you. Um, <laughs> you know, but it said that it's been several antichrists already, which I don't know, maybe, maybe not. But it would make sense in if we look at it from a duality point of view. When it comes to the occult and the paranormal and witchcraft, all that stuff, it's duality associated with everything there's a positive there's a negative so the possibility of there being if we take abrahamic belief at its core and we'll say it's all real if we take that into consideration then yeah realistically there would be an antichrist and he would do his best to cause a splintering of humanity instead of of course a bringing together of humanity um it it would be somewhat chaotic. He, he he wouldn't do miracles. He would cause chaos. Um, he he or she, I should say, they. There we go. They wouldn't necessarily be evil. However, you know, and here Damien's just straight up evil. But they wouldn't necessarily be evil, and the reason for that is because. Lucifer, being if we're using him as an example, is very much about choice. And you got to remember, he's a rebel first. So he would have his spawn. He would make sure he has the ability to choose. You can choose what you want to do. I don't care. So he wouldn't be inherently evil like they show. He might be rebellious, but he would still have choice. And them making him like just straight up evil, that's where it gets a little blurred if I take into consideration the occult things. Um the the telepathic, the uh the telepathic deaths and the final destination-esque deaths, I should say. Um I don't want to say they're impossible. Because we we are dealing with a supernatural deity. So I'll say it's low probability, but certainly possible, however, extremely unlikely. But then saying that, I'm reminded of... Uh, and let me know if I'm talking too no, much. No, no, no. You could always say, shut up. No, no, no. Carry I'm on. reminded of something that happened recently. And uh, this is why you always have to be careful with what you deal with uh, if you make a promise uh, to whatever deity. Um, there was someone who was in some legal trouble, and they come from a Christian background, and they couldn't find the help that they needed. So they went to someone who is a witch and works with various deities they do high magic and 
this person asked and begged, like, please, can you do something to help me? And they said, all right. And they got the demonic entity Belial to help. And that's who you speak to for justice, if you want to correct an injustice and bring justice. And um, sure enough, Belial did whatever Belial does. All he asked was for him to be devoted, uh, the person who asked for help, to be devoted to Belial and to better themselves. That was the sacrifice that's needed because you always have to give something to receive. It, you don't have to kill a baby or kick a puppy, nothing like that. So this is where it's going to tie in with the omen. He became extremely devoted to Belial, very much so, because he saw the powers firsthand, and it's like, yes, yes, yes. But he turned his back on Belial and went back to Christianity, mostly because of his family and what happened with them being Christian. And it's like, no, you're going to burn up if you do this and blah, blah, blah. Well, shortly after he turned his back on Belial, he did some stuff, things like literally like a domino effect. Things kept going wrong, wrong and wrong. And he shot a police officer. What? They hunted him down and um, he literally had no way out, killed himself. And that could have been from the influence of Belial because the guy went back on his word. So these beings, some of them, depending on the being, are capable of some type of manipulation. And when the omen, we see this. <laughs> so low probability, but, but, still, but there is, it is a possibility, just highly unlikely. Now, talking about the, uh, the franchise, um, as we did earlier, Fran the Cannon has mentioned. I I completely forgot about this. I never I never got around to watching it. Uh, but there was a 2016 uh, series called Damien, which follows him as an adult. I think I remember hearing about it at the time, in that he's kind of like a he's like fighting against being, you know, his his. Yeah, uh, he he um he forgot that he was the Antichrist and. It was, it, it came on A&E, uh, well, A&E over here, hmm. and um, I can't remember who it was that was with him, but someone was trying to get him to go back to being the Antichrist and do evil and all of that. Um, it, I think it was on for maybe two seasons, okay. maybe, but uh, it, it wasn't bad, but it it's not... It's one of those shows where if nothing else is on and this is here, I'll watch it. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, he he forgot that he was the Antichrist, which I don't know how that's possible, but sure, <laughs> we'll go with that. Suddenly forget your 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 supposed birthright of being uh, the son of Satan. Um, I guess uh, one of the things which I kind of want to discuss as well, because I always find it so interesting in in horror. It does lead me to a film which I think, uh, you know, if we if we do another show uh, looking at uh, you know further uh, paranormal influences, I think. If, have you seen the film Hereditary? 
Yeah. Oh yeah, I would. I, I have seen Hereditary. I actually got uh, quite upset at Hereditary. Oh, did you not like it? Oh no, I thought the film was fine. I mean, for what it is, but they were very disrespectful to an entity. As a matter of fact, this is the same entity that I told you, whose energy I felt before we started, King Payment. I did think that I recognized the name, but I didn't want to yeah. say, "Oh, is that Hereditary?" And you go, "What are you talking about?" <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. Uh, yeah, King Payment. So that's a very real entity. And they were very disrespectful to him, and that's not the one you be disrespectful to. Oh, okay. Um, so, uh, yeah. I mean, wh- <laughs> I did like it, but that's the only part I didn't like. It's like, oh boy. I guess I, I wondered if I, I didn't know if it was based on a on a on a true uh, entity or deity or, or or they'd made it up for the film. But I guess one of the things that I wanted to discuss with this film, and the reason why I mentioned Hereditary as well. Is um, it's I suppose there is the supernatural element to it because it's the influence on 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 the people and their beliefs, but the the cult aspect. So in the Omen, um, Damien very much isn't alone. I mean, there's instances where he's kind of almost protected uh, by uh, by jackals and, and, and demon dogs uh, when um, when he's Gregory Peck's character is trying to search for the but you've also got these people there's doctors there's the nanny i think and there's a few other characters who are kind of uh helping behind the scenes because they know you know who damien is and they're kind of part of that and uh talking about hereditary you've also got those those other characters who are seemingly kind of hidden in plain sight of part of this this cult um what's the kind of the reality behind the paranormal of i guess uh a cult serving a supernatural entity oh that's very common uh very common i mean you have luciferianism which they sort of serve lucifer um as a matter of fact i mean it's she's not in a cult but last week on unexplained possibilities i had on um anima nora and she is a lumen of lucifer and a priestess of Lilith. So she serves them. Um, then, you know, over there, you guys actually have the Order of Nine Angels. When I say over there, I mean in England. Yeah. Uh, they could be, oh, there are a lot of things, but they serve uh, Baphomet. They're more of a cult than a traditional cult than anything. But yeah, they they serve Baphomet. Um then you have the uh, some more of the ancient deities, cults, um, such as I'm trying to think of one that everyone would know, a name that everyone would know. But um, but then saying that, I'm not sure everyone would know it. <laughs> uh, you know, I, I mentioned Belial, and there's a cult of Belial. Um, with the Golden Dawn, there we go, that's a better example. With the Golden Dawn, the Hermetic Order of Golden Dawn, they would do high magic, which means ceremonial, ritual, ritualistic, uh, magical practices to try and connect with beings allegedly higher than us. And most of them were uh egyptian gods or uh, babylonian gods etc etc and they were devoted 
to them and they kept their stuff secret. So that's the thing about cults. They keep their mess secret. They don't want the world to know. They don't want the world to to um, to learn the secrets on how they got power or what they're trying to bring in or not bring in. And there are some darker cults that will serve darker entities. And unfortunately, yeah, they they do human sacrifice. They do animal sacrifice. Um, there is a cult of Moloch. And they... I recognize, they, hmm? I recognize uh, Moloch. Yeah, for whatever reason, he's growing in popularity. I don't know why, but uh, it, uh, and mind you, these are the extremists. Like this isn't normal, but the cult of Moloch—they will sacrifice babies. In fact, um, sometimes they will get women pregnant so they can force abortion them, so they can sacrifice that that human uh, to Moloch. Oh my! <laughs> yeah, and that's that's. That's modern. That that's this is modern, modern. yeah. Woof. Well, uh, but and you see why they want to keep a secret. Well, of course. Um, I guess uh, just to kind of round off the um, uh, the the cult um aspect. Uh, part part of me was initially going to inquire about um. In in kind of modern cults, and when I talk about cults in in the kind of the the mainstream aspect, that's you know yeah. Jim Jones or, or these other, you know, kind of end of the world type cults. But talking more, I suppose, about the uh, supernatural, uh, like, you know, deities, gods, demons based uh, based cults. Do you, well, initially, I was going to inquire about our members, I know they'll keep it secret, uh, more inclined to those that will live on a commune and, you know, be part of the cult from that aspect or talking about like the omen and hereditary and i suppose also like something like rosemary's baby where you have these members of cults who are people in high society people that you know like uh, elderly couples and people that you just generally you wouldn't you'd go past on the street and wouldn't think oh they're going to be part of a satanic cult um one thing that i wanted to kind of bring up was should have done the research on this beforehand, but it's coming to my head now. There was video footage I remember seeing, and you, you never know if this is genuine or faked, of a high society uh, cult gathering. And I believe it's in the Hollywood Hills. There's uh, there's some fenced-off area. Talking about Bohemian Grove? Probably. I think that sounds about right. Yeah. Um, okay. That... That would have been from Alex Jones, most likely, if it's Bohemian Grove. No, no, no. You said Hollywood Hills, so I'm no. sure it's the Hollywood. Uh, Bohemian Grove is way north. I'll have to have a look and uh, I'll pop it in like uh, in in the Discord. Yeah. But there was, it might actually be the Alex the Alex Jones. There's there's basically this something is happening in this kind of fenced, closed off area with high, members of high society. But then there's weird fires and. Folks and the owls. Yeah. Bohemian Grove. Okay. <laughs> what's 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 that all about? Okay, so I'm gonna I'm gonna say a couple of things real quick. So uh, real quick you mentioned if um 
if people in cults are more likely to live in a communal type thing or uh, the society, well, it's both, but it depends on the cult. I've noticed that the people who are into the aliens and all that, it's more of a group thing. Uh, think Heaven's Gate. They've crashed. You know, you know, yeah. So it, it's more usually with them, it's more of a group thing. Whereas the more cult, dem, demonical cult, demonical, good lord, demonic cults and them, they're a bit more secretive, but they're usually people you would never know, you'd never suspect. It's like, wow, really? Which, you know, be careful who you speak to. Um, now, going to Bohemian Grove and the high society thing, I wish I could answer that, <laughs> but I can, I have no idea what's up with that except for we can go into some conspiracy theory stuff um when it comes to owls owls okay. have a place not only in witchcraft but extraterrestrial as well um it's believed that the owls are the shepherds and common man us are the lambs and the owls watch over the shepherds and um it's it has a connection with this world supposedly being, I guess you could say livestock oh. in, a, in a way, or, or uh, you know, I don't want to go there too, too much, but yeah. And uh, the owls are being presented sacrifices to please them for whatever reason. Yeah. Um, so it's very weird. Uh, and now I just thought about the, the fourth kind. I don't know oh. if you've ever seen that movie. Uh, I think I have the alien abduction film yeah yeah that was a that, the marketing for that was really good <laughs> <laughs> but uh you know so but ultimately i have no idea what's up with bohemian grove and and people from high society doing that. i know that's a gathering that they've been doing for a long time like centuries i think um at least two centuries but other than that, I have no clue, none at all. I think maybe, uh, I think maybe a future episode of the show is going to have to be a deep dive into into cults because it's something I'm very interested in and I don't know near enough about. I've always been a bit too scared to dig too deep. Uh, <laughs> I don't want to appear on anyone's radar. Uh, yeah, well, and to uh, circle it back around to the omen, um, I do believe that the cult in there was slightly based off the of actual cult and they were Satan worshipers and they did want to bring forth the Antichrist for whatever reason. I guess it's because they felt slighted by God and humanity in general. And um, they would defile temples and, you know, just do whatever. Um, and in a weird way, that's sort of what Satanism is about, but then it isn't. Uh, real Satanists will not... They're, they're not nasty people, the real ones. The people who are posers are, but the real ones, they're not nasty people. They're very intelligent. Um, they have their own rules. And part of why they're Satanists is because 
they want to rebel against what society deems normal. They don't want to be controlled. And in a way with the omen, you know, Damien in an odd way shows that even though he's pure evil, he still shows that he does not want to be controlled. He can't be controlled and he wants to, he's actually an anarchist (laughs) in a a strange way, you know, but uh, yeah. I mean, yeah, it's, uh, I, I remember many, many years ago in my, my teenage years, uh, out of curiosity, I picked up the, uh, the satanic Bible, the Anton LaVey, um, yeah. book. And I was very, um, surprised by it that, um, you know, the majority of the book, I mean, I know the last sort of chapters looking at the, uh, the seven, seven doors, I think to hell. I don't, at that point I was, I wasn't really for me. Um, but I was very surprised that it was very much the, the 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 writings were kind of saying, look, Christianity says you can't do this, you can't do that, you shouldn't enjoy this, shouldn't enjoy that. Whereas their viewpoint is very much, look, you shouldn't have these kind of controls as long as you're not hurting anyone and you're not, you know, kind of breaking like kind of general laws or whatever. You should have free will, that, that sort of thing. And it was like, okay. No, not what I yeah, initially I, expected from uh, picking up a book called The Satanic Bible. Yeah, it, you know, that's the thing. is that There is no Satan in Satanism. And with uh, Anton, he was interesting because he's also a troll. Uh, he was very theatrical, I'll say. <laughs> very theatrical. But intelligent, too. But yeah, it's it's about rebelling and rejecting it's not about hurting or killing. It's like, no, live your life. Don't be constrained by things that aren't natural to begin with. You know, like, don't you lie. It's bad. Well, you know, everyone. Yeah, sure. It's probably not the best in the world. But, you know, what if you're in a moral dilemma where you have to lie to save someone's life? Yeah. Or, you know, like, no, no premarital sex. But why? It's fun. Come on. Like, nope. You're going to burn. Why? I mean, no, you know, it's it's just those type of things. Well, let's uh, let's let's move on to our next film to discuss that being the uh, the woman in black, which um, is a 2020 2020, Gothic supernatural horror film directed by James Watkins, written by Jane Goldman. I mean, it's the second adaptation um, of Susan Hill's 1983 novel of the same name, uh, which was previously filmed in 1989. Now, I've not seen the 1989 adaptation, but I've heard it's meant to be very scary. Uh, The plot, set in early 20th century England, follows a... uh, Oh, God, I've lost my place. Uh, Follows a young, recently widowed lawyer who travels to a remote village where he discovers that the vengeful ghost of a scorned woman terrorizing the locals uh this was a hammer film production so hammer being a british studio uh huge in the 60s dracula frankenstein films kind of starts down a bit of a comeback but i don't think i don't know if there's been that many more recent hammer horror films um but it uh in the uk had a bit of controversy uh, because it received a 12a um, certificate from the BBFC, uh, despite several cuts being made. Um, hmm, which I don't know why that's so 
don't know why that's controversial if it cuts to ensure it will get a lower age rating. Uh, there was a sequel in 2015, uh, The Woman in Black, Angel of Death, which I don't remember being great. Uh, but The Woman in Black was uh, was decent, had some good jump scares in it. Um, and uh, yeah, we're talking about a vengeful ghost of a scorned woman. Uh, talk to us about the reality of the paranormal. Oh, well, before that, I have to say, I love this movie. <laughs> um, I absolutely love this movie uh to the point where i refuse to see the sequel because it's no way it could live up to it <laughs> yeah so i i won't watch it i refuse um and adding on to that the atmosphere that gothic atmosphere and just how they use the shots and the oh man i love this movie the location so where it was kind of that um there's a few couple of spots like that in the uk where you have uh, kind of almost off mainland little villages that are kind of only accessible when the tides are low. Um, I remember that being quite uh, quite freaky because the tide's high at night and things are going bump in the night. You've not really got anywhere that you can go. Yeah. Um, so this one is a little weird to point out the reality because so much of it is pretty reality based and then the stuff that isn't i mean good lord it is not uh now the woman in black we'll start off with her she in general would actually probably be a woman in white before she would be in black which i'm sure everyone has heard stories about the the woman in white or, or the specter of of a woman wearing a white dress and all of that um it doesn't necessarily mean a bad omen but it doesn't necessarily mean a good omen mm -hmm. either but it does represent that something not so good has transpired. Um, and a vengeful spirit, that very real. And how they had it, it you notice that the, the woman in black throughout the movie, she didn't actually harm um, Daniel Radcliffe's uh, character. What's his name, Kid? Uh, Arthur, Arthur Kip. Kip. Yeah, uh, she didn't actually harm Kip. And this is more how spirits work versus, you know, 13 ghosts where they're physically physical and tossing you around. But 13 ghosts is also more of a popcorn movie, too. Um, this is more psychological, I would say. And noticing things in the background where you're questioning your reality, like, what the heck? You know, that's what they got so good with this because that's what happens if you're in a haunted location it's little things that then add up to big things uh, a chair just suddenly moving on its own i mean now it won't it won't keep doing that but it will do it a little bit just enough for you to notice it and like did i just see that to where you will investigate uh hearing little footsteps uh dolls that seem to move by themselves and you're just questioning yourself like what it is this in my head am i going crazy what's going on and having dreams i want to say and and just feeling off that's the major thing that off-putting feeling when you're walking around and you can never feel comfortable that is so freaking real and they they nailed it in here um, 
the woman in black showing up how she does and all of that, that's, you know, Hollywood-ish or, well, British-ish-ish. <laughs> they kind of, from, from memory, don't they make use of um, her kind of appearing uh, in, uh, in windows and mirrors, if I yeah, remember rightly. Yeah, in, in windows. So that part is, well, yeah, I told you about the mirrors. Very accurate, but at the same time, she lingers too long. I mean, I know part of that, though, is for the audience itself, you know, just to get that uh, visual represent representation. But things happen quick. Oh, I wish I could snap my fingers. I was born without that ability. Someone snapped their fingers for me. I don't care who. There you go. Things happen like that within a snap. It's just it's very quick. If it's lingering and you see something, you're like, huh, that's a problem. They should not be able to do that. Uh, if they're able to do that, you run. <laughs> Just run. Uh, that's the only real issue I have with it. But um, her being a spirit of vengeance, there are a lot of spirits that are PO'd, and they will affect people. Um, and sometimes there is no way to quelch that anger or whatever it is that's disturbing them uh oftentimes and usually these type of movies they try to have a happy ending where uh you know like oh here here's the doll you were missing now you're happy and you can move on and or or you just need love that's a big one like give it love funny story about that actually um in this, not so much. Spoiler alert, things don't end well. <laughs> um, and that's reality. You know, reuniting something like, oh, see, look, here, here, this is what you missed, right? No, it doesn't. No, it's P.O. But you, you, let's do it like this, Tess. Someone makes you mad and they say, oh, here's a lolly. This will make you feel better. This is what you wanted, right? Would that make you feel better if someone just really made you mad? It probably wouldn't help, no. <laughs> <laughs> no. So same thing with the spirit. It's like, no, I'm PO because of an injustice that happened, and I'm taking it out on everyone. The only thing that's going to get rid of them is a forced exorcism. Okay. And, you know, so I love how they did this because they... Um, the woman in black was upset about her child uh, being uh, killed. I, I want to say it was a carriage ride that uh, that took him. I'm trying to separate the movie from the uh, from the the book, yeah, because uh, book's a little bit different. But um, she was mad about that. You know, she already had to pretend like she wasn't the kid's mother, and now he was taken away, and she's PO'd, not happy. And uh, you carry that anger with you in death. That's why they say, don't die angry, man. Die with peace in your heart because you take it with you. You, you take that mess with you. And when they try to reunite uh, Jeanette, I think that's her name, with her kid, she was she didn't even look at it but she went right after kip yeah. like what is this you know it's like no you're not getting it i'm angry and my kid is gone he moved on 
So no, I'm coming for you. Like, it's nothing. It's nothing you could do about it. There is no happy with the spirit ending, of vengeance. Yeah. No, it's absolutely not. They're going to get what they want. And if they don't get what they want, they will figure out a way to get what they want. And, and it's very much a reality. I mean, you know, it might not be to the extreme of I'm going to snap my fingers and kill you like that. And that's the other thing. It didn't just happen. This was something that took a moment to build up to get to that part because ultimately what does she want she wanted to kill his kid and with spirits they have all the time in the world they're very patient and that's what happens in reality but usually though with spirits of vengeance they drive you crazy before they uh, bring some type of physical harm. Not saying they can't do physical harm, like scratches and all that. That does occur, but they they break you down mentally, and then they get you because when you when you're broken down mentally, it starts to develop the stages of um, possession, and if they possess you, that's all she wrote. It, it's whole different story which is interesting that she didn't try to possess him because i i do think that's where they messed up a little bit i think uh jeanette would have tried to possess uh kip in, in reality yeah well i see um that uh, just looking on the wikipedia that one of the uh one of the deaths kind of from the woman in black is where the woman in black uh goads uh goads one of the village girls into burning herself so that kind of then ties into what you say about the uh, the influence and kind of breaking them down and the uh, on this girl's ear and uh, didn't physically burn her. Woman Black didn't burn her, but led her to burning herself due to due to this uh, this influence from the from the ghost. Yep. Well, I'm gonna have to so. give this film a rewatch because I I saw it when it came out. I enjoyed it. I saw the sequel when it came out. We won't talk about that. <laughs> That, that's your mistake right there. But no, it's definitely worth another watch. Oh, for sure. Uh, it, it, it's just really good, in my opinion. And even on the poster here, you see the woman in ba black in the background. And that's what happens throughout the film. You know, she is in the background. And that's what happens with spirits. As a matter of fact, um, when I was uh, speaking to a friend, we were video chatting. Luckily, this was one of my guides. Uh, his name's Raphael video chatting like you and I are, and he, uh, well, I was in another space, but he showed up. I saw him show up over my right shoulder, just, poof, and through the through the viewing screen. I was like, what the heck? You know, he jumped and looking around, like, did I just see that? And, like, I got my pendulum, because I was like, whoa, did I just see Raphael? And, uh, Raphael, if, if you can, can you show off what you were doing with the pendulum, please? You know, he's going in the circle all excited, uh, you know, uh, just for the people. Can you stop moving just to see that I'm not too, too crazy? And as you can see, it's coming to a stop. And can you give us a big circle, please? Uh, a little bit more momentum. And now keep going, keep going, keep going. Please, more. Okay, thank you. And, you know, so he was doing all of that. And I'm thinking, like, what the heck just happened? <laughs> <And all. laughs> so 
her being like just around hidden here, hidden there. Yeah. My gosh. <laughs> definitely, definitely one we're gonna have to give a rewatch. Uh now this film, this next one we're gonna chat about, is recently been voted. Uh I say voted, I think it's been awarded by um some uh film body. Um they calculated that uh that this is the scariest film ever made. Now I wouldn't agree that it's the scariest film ever made. I couldn't say what I think was, but I remember really enjoying this film and thinking it was very inventive. The uh, 2012 supernatural horror film, directed and co-written by Scott Derrickson, Sinister. Wow, this uh, this film had a great uh, great marketing campaign. Uh, really utilized. Uh, I kind of want to say found fo- it's not found footage, but it utilizes this uh, home video aesthetic form part of the story which is uh basically it's a true crime writer uh, ellison oswald played by ethan Hawke. um he discovers a series of super eight home videos depicting grisly murders found in the attic of the new house that him and his family have moved into and that instantly puts the family in danger um i thought this film was great uh we've got like i say these these super eight videos they're just really quite creepy, and they're really quite inventive. These different uh, murders, which just basically kill an entire family, except for one member of the family, one of the child is always missing. Uh, won't, the film's, you know, it's 10 years old now, but I won't say too much if people haven't seen it. Uh, but it also, there's, again, this uh, a being, a supernatural being, um, who initially has these moments of appearing in these kind of they obviously prolong it slightly because it's cinema, so you know, the audience has to at least acknowledge it, but kind of blink and you miss it moments where, oh, did I just see a face in the middle of the the trees outside? That's that sort of that sort of thing. Um let's talk about the reality behind uh, behind Sinister. This one's this one's definitely gonna be very very intriguing. Yeah, um it's a creepy movie. <laughs> That's the first thing. Uh, the second thing is this is this is I would say more folklore based because we're dealing with uh, Bugal. I want to say his name. I'm, I'm sure uh, I'm butchering. Yeah, B U G H U U L. Yeah, which which is essentially the boogeyman. Mm-hmm. And uh, oh, I wish Lawrence was here right now so we could talk about bloody bones. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, he's essentially the boogeyman, and uh, um, but really in the um, in the movie, the story, he's a pagan deity of some sort. Uh, he's not a real deity, okay. but uh, yeah, he's made up, and I, I I don't think he's based off of any real life deity from what I've researched and can tell, uh, just purely for this movie. Which kudos to them, right? Yeah, definitely. Uh, and we're looking at, again, the correct way spirit does something, and that's through patience and a bit of buildup to get the end result. Manipulation, influence, and we see that because they cause you to get obsessed with something, and you don't even realize you're becoming obsessed. And... Once that happens, you're pretty much theirs. It's just little whispers that are needed next. 
And um, if you're open to it, because some people are more open to the influence of spirits than others, then, you know, they can get you. They can get you to do things. Um, oh, I'm trying to think of the word. Oh, what is it? Oh, gosh, darn it. Uh, he'll come to me later. It's going to bug me now. But they can they can get you to do little things. And that's what we see throughout the movie. Because Ellis, you know, he's thinking he's smart. He lied to his family to begin with. And he, he he's trying to figure this out. Like, what's going on here? He's trying to find his inspiration. And now he's dealing with a supernatural being that is haunting his family. And... It wants that energy. It wants blood. And that's something that's accurate. Um, but maybe not in the sense of everyone's going to die. But there are, de you know, what? I'm not even going to say there are deities. Every single spiritual thing, angel, demon, human, others, gods goddesses if you're dealing with them if you're working with them one of the offerings you can give them is blood and 99 percent of the time they will always accept that because it is literally a piece of you being offered to them a piece that has a lot of energy in it and they feed off of that or some of them can anyway yeah. um Sometimes they just want to see how far you'll go. <laughs> you know, it's ridiculous. But it's like, are you really this stupid? Like, okay, stupid. And that alone could be a test. But um, him wanting blood, uh, Bugal, accurate. It, it, it's, it's accurate. And that's what he wanted. He wanted to feed. And he created these... The, well, he created a way to kill the family. Uh, what was it? It wasn't moving into the house that gets you. He just scares you half to death and takes control over you. It's leaving the house hmm. that gets you. And he and I don't think they showed this, but one of the little girls, I can't remember her name. He was able to um, take over and they I don't believe they showed how he did it. But kids are susceptible a little bit more susceptible to the paranormal than us as we're older. We're a bit more closed off. We're a bit more jaded. Whereas a kid, it's like a blank canvas, completely open. And, you know, you can get in there. Um, well, I guess, I guess kind of similar to um, how, uh, how Pazuzu um, in The Exorcist um, initially... This kid whose parents gone through a divorce, the kid's kind of lonely, and oh, I'll find a Ouija board and start chatting to this friendly, this friendly. You know, they're, they're going to be have a bit, a bit more open-minded to someone yeah. responding and not think it's anything nefarious. So yeah, that that totally makes sense that they could they're going to be more influenced. Yeah. Um. Uh. So real quick about the Exorcist. So Pazuzu is a real deity. Um. Uh, I'm trying to remember if he's Sumerian or Babylonian. I think it's, or no, he's Mesopotamian, I want to say. Um, but that is a real deity. He is a wind god. 
uh, they used them in the wrong capacity in the exorcism. That's nothing to do with Christianity, but you know, like the Lord's prayer and all that, that wouldn't work on him that he'd laugh at that, but he is considered an evil entity. But then at the same time, you can, can, you can look at him as a, uh, anti-hero because the statues of Pazuzu are actually used and he will protect you from something that's an even greater evil. <laughs> so if you don't have statues of him and this other greater evil comes, then, well, you're up a creek without a paddle. <laughs> so, so it's, it's very interesting with Pazuzu. But uh, anyway, um, yeah, so uh, the little girl was influenced and... I can't say she was possessed because she wasn't possessed, but she was influenced and doing the bidding of uh, this Bugal. And he played, uh, Ellis played right into his hands. And that's the thing people need to realize. We are not smarter than these deities. We're, we're not. They're thousands upon thousands, maybe even hundreds of thousands of years old. They are a natural energy they're born from this world most of them and they understand the inner workings they understand the human psyche they can see possible futures they know what we're going to do before we do it it's no outsmarting them so trying to play that game you already lost and they could be in multiple places at once you know so they it, it sucks man um i remember the uh, we we spoke about him briefly, but Zozo, the Z entity, Ouija board demon. Yeah. I remember it was an investigation for live sci-fi, and they were using Ouija board. And essentially, they said like, "How can you be in more pla in several places at once?" And he's basically said, "People are stupid <laughs> because they don't understand this. Uh, it's their time doesn't matter if you're energy, and you can be in several places and this and that." So they can be in several places. They can see beyond. Um, now, I don't know what was up with that green snot or that green stuff. I don't know what was up with that. Uh -huh. uh, I suppose we can consider it ectoplasma. But at the same time, it's like, I don't know what this is. I, I think it was just to have a visual aid for viewers to go by. And... Um, yeah, I don't know. That was just weird. I mean, I would have rather them just have little girl sneak up and crack them upside the head or something. I think that would have been better. Yeah, um, there's a couple. Of, I mean, I, I I do really enjoy um, Sinister. Um, the sequel I thought was quite forgettable. Um, I don't really remember what happened in the sequel. See, I I won't watch mm. it because I like this one too much. Yeah, it just it was. It's an inferior film. Um. My only kind of little gripe with Sinister was near the end. I thought you maybe saw too much of uh, of Bagul. I thought he was really effective when you're just seeing his face creep up, or it's it's in the background if, if you look close enough. And there's, I think there was one particular jump scare which I think a lot of people liked, but I always thought it was a little bit corny when he goes into the attic and he sees all the dead kids. But then also Bagul's head suddenly appears in front of him. I think it was just the way that it appeared was, I think, less is more. And uh, yeah. I, I much prefer when you, kind of like with uh, The Exorcist, as we mentioned, the flashes of Pazuzu's kind of true face. 
I always thought those were excellent because they only happen like three times or four times in the whole film, and they're only for yeah. It it uh, it keeps a mystery. Yeah, and it also forces you to use your imagination as well. You know, I think one of the worst things we can do in or they can do in horror movies is show the actual killer or monster or whatever. Don't do that unless, you know, unless it's for a very, very good reason. But don't do that. Keep them hidden. And and again, it, it draws you back in to where like, oh, my gosh, what would I do? You can't see this freaking thing. How do you fight it? You know, <laughs> so I'm, I'm with you. Less is more when it comes to horror. Yeah. Uh, un- unless it's just a gore fest, then well, have at uh, it. Yeah. <laughs> you, you know what you're in for with those films, so yeah. Yeah, yeah but uh, but that's how they work, too. They, they don't show themselves. Or if they show themselves, it's going to be briefly. Um, and it will happen in dreams. Uh, that's where you're, you're most vulnerable and you're most open. So be careful, people who who have vivid dreams, you're inviting stuff in. I guess kind of, um, a, a kind of it came out of a similar sort of time as uh, Sinister, um, but talking about dreams and uh, astral projection, um, you know, the, the first Insidious film, that was kind of part mm-hmm. of that, was this kid inherited uh, from his father, this uh, ability to basically astral project, leave his body, but in doing so, that's almost creating like a beacon for yeah. for other beings that well this body's vacant or y- you're opening yourself up to uh, not so friendly uh, visitors. You have no idea how absolutely right you are. So astral projection that's a real thing. People do it, and when you go to this astral world and you're not supposed to be there, you're you're still living. You do set off a beacon. And it's like, whoa, what is that? You're different. You're not supposed to be here. Now, you you can run into some nasty stuff. Like, you know, and I'm not just saying that for theatrics or anything. Like, you legit can run into some nasty stuff that you have to fight off that might come back with you. Uh, very parasitic-like things as well that, that want your energy to just feed and perhaps grow stronger in their own way. Um you know, so you do leave yourself vulnerable. And uh, it said, if you're going to astral project, always have someone with you. And don't do it for more than 10, 15 minutes. But when you're astral projecting, you don't know time. Time is non-existent. So what feels like five minutes is five hours. So it's very interesting with that but yeah you gotta you have to be careful you have to train you have to know what you're doing and you know if you do astral project end up on astral don't think you're gonna do a freaking kamehameha wave or some mess um <laughs> so if anyone saw a review i did they would understand that reference okay. so um we'll look on to uh we'll go on to our last our last film to uh, to assess the reality of this evening. Now, this is a film that I I uh, did I enjoy it. I did enjoy it, except for the ending. I think it came out at a similar time to another film that had a very similar twist ending. Very sort of different film, but I think because of me seeing 
what was the sixth sense uh, at a similar sort of time to seeing this film. It dampened my opinion on it a bit. Now, I haven't seen the film in like 20 years, so I probably do need to give it a rewatch. But in terms of the concept, we're going to be fi- uh, finishing looking at 2001's The Others. Uh, it's an English language, Spanish, gothic supernatural psychological horror film that was written, directed, and scored by Alejandro Amenaba. Um, it stars Nicole Kidman, Fiona Flanagan, Christopher Eccleston, uh, Elaine Cassidy, Eric Sykes, Alpina Mann, and James Bentley. Um, it was a huge success. Um, I believe it uh, highlighted for the direction, the screenplay, the score, atmosphere, and Kidman's performance. Um, I haven't got a tiny synopsis other than the main sort of plot, but uh, essentially it's set in 1945. Uh, it's the uh, the immediate aftermath of World War II. Uh, follows the character Grace Stewart, um, which lives in her remote country house in Jersey, the Channel Islands, that was formerly occupied by the Germans. And she has her two children, Anna and Nicholas, who have an unspecified disease characterized by photosensitivity. Um, I mean, without kind of going into the full general kind of plot, the, the, I'll say spoiler alerts here now, but the film is 21 years old, but you can't really talk about the paranormal aspects without going into spoilers. There's, we bet we basically find out there's a lot of, uh, freaky things happening in the world around them, but, uh, they're they're essentially almost stuck in this, uh, in this, this house. And the reason for that is that uh, they are all ghosts. Is that correct? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you're you're seeing a film, and it's kind of similar to The Sixth Sense in terms of the, the twist, but also in that you're seeing a film from the perspective of people who don't know that they're dead. So let's talk about the reality uh, behind that, I guess, that... Uh, could, is it quite feasible that uh, you could encounter ghosts, or there could be ghostly presents who just aren't aware that they have uh, that they've passed on? Yes, um, I, I've I have quite a few paranormal investigator friends, and um, we speak about this from time to time. And they have said they've encountered spirits who didn't know they passed, and that's why if you are a paranormal investigator. You have to be careful with your questioning and a stupid question that is asked that really shouldn't be asked is, do you know you're dead? Because if they don't know and they're hearing this because they're trapped, it really is something where you can be trapped for whatever reason. We don't know why or how. Uh, Sometimes there is a being that is keeping you there, but... Uh, yeah, sometimes there are beings that will keep uh, someone from moving on. But um, as far as why they're there on their own, we don't know. Because sometimes, I guess it's just they don't realize. And asking, are you dead? That could cause a traumatic effect. And that could mess them up. And it could cause them to just flip out and go crazy. And who knows what else. Um so them being dead and seeing things from the other side, it's, it's something to it. Um, because we, we don't exactly know what it is that ghosts 
see of us. Uh, we could be the ghosts. There actually is a theory floating out there that um, dimensions are just layered on top of each other. And if that's the case, then us in this physical world would look like ghosts to those in the spiritual world. And it's like, what, what is that? What's happening here? Because they might not remember their physical life. Well, I guess just, um, I've just sort of been familiarizing myself again with the, uh, with the general plot that, uh, the Nicole Kidman and her, well, Grace Stewart and, and her children are, they're, they're believing that there's something paranormal going on in their house and that there are ghostly presences there without realizing that actually the seance is being held by the people who've gone in there now, the actual people that are alive, which is how we find out about uh, what happened. And I guess, and again, I, I really do need to rewatch this film because just <laughs> looking at these, these plot elements, it's not just a case of Nicole Kidman's character and the children suddenly died and, uh, you know, let's say if it was a bomb hill, something something that was like an immediate impact and that they're now in the ghost the ghosty kind of realm but aren't aware and so on and so forth. There was actually uh, Grace, Nicole Kidman's character, um, smothered the children to death with a pillow in a fit of despair before then committing suicide. So she has got into this horrific kind of uh, mode, done something awful, then committed suicide, um, but now, without kind of, I guess she's almost forgotten that aspect, because who knows how much of can, can go into that world, and is thinking that the people that are alive now are the ghosts invading her space, and it's, I mean, that's got to be traumatic, realising this this repressed event before committing suicide is, is the actual truth, and um, adding on to that, uh, there's a scene where the daughter, I can't think of her name, but she, um, she notices her mother's acting weird and, uh, her mother sees her daughter and, and her daughter looks like an old woman and everything's like, who are you? Where's my daughter? And she gets her and starts strangling her and it's like, I am your daughter. And eventually she snaps out of it and she sees her daughter. She's like, oh my gosh what just happened. And I, I'm mentioning this for a couple of reasons. Uh, the first is the daughter runs to her brother and says, Oh my God, it's happening again. Like what she did before, even though the daughter doesn't know she's dead, yeah. she remembers being strangled. The brother does not. And, uh, he's like, what are you talking about? What do you mean it's happened before? And, um, what, happened was i believe it was uh, a psychic who was trying to get through to the little girl and her or, or it was the little girl who aged god darn it i can't remember exactly what it was but um anyway she saw something from the other side essentially and it caused her to freak and part of her freaking out too is a little bit of cabin fever which quite a few people have experienced with you know the pandemic happening course, yeah. and um it causes you to go crazy and that's what was happening again because in her physical life she got over overly protective and she wouldn't let the kids out because of the photosensitivity and 
and her husband is away at war and it caused her to slowly snap. And we can see that happening in long-term isolation and that sometimes carries over as a spirit where you're very protective of your space because it's your space. No, this is mine. I can't leave it. You become obsessed and attached in a way. And um, that's what we see there. Even though she doesn't know it, she doesn't realize it, you know, we see that. That's another reality that they, I think they got right, although it might be unintentionally. I mean, the 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 story of the, the finale of the film, The Realization, it reminds me, talking earlier on about Supernatural and where I've been re-watching uh, season one uh, again, um, one of the episodes of that detail deals with a uh, a, a ghost who basically obviously they've dramatized that more as this ghost is attacking people but the the general story is that the ghost in a uh, a fit of uh, mania panic rage whatever in a out of normal uh, experience drowns their child or smothers their child before then killing themselves and isn't aware in the ghostly sense that they they can't accept that, or they they don't they're not really aware of that kind of occurring, and I guess that that must be you know supernatural. The others may must have based that on some tale or some uh, story in the paranormal world of that sort of thing occurring, and I guess like you say, there's that kind of uh, isolation, that mania where a person can just snap, have a have a moment, and. Yeah realize that they've done something awful and kill themselves. Yeah, unfortunately. Um, that's why they say long-term isolation. It's not a good thing, uh-huh. <laughs> which I'm, I'm surprised I'm still saying. <laughs> um, I think, I don't know, <laughs> knock on wood. Uh, but yeah, it, it's, it's, very, it's very interesting in that sense. It's kind of scary, too, yeah. because... Wow, the sun is now coming in. Um, curse you, sun. Um, <laughs> what time is it over there for you, Mel? It's uh, 3 p.m. Oh, okay, okay. Uh, oh, gosh darn it. I just oh, lost God, my train sorry. of thought. No, no, it's fine. It happens. I'm absent-minded. What was I saying? Long-term isolation. It happens. Ah, uh, well, fruitcake. I can't remember. Um... But anyway, we, we take this stuff with us. You know, sometimes we forget, sometimes we don't. And then if it's just thrown on you, that could cause issues. I mean, again, we see it in everyday life. Let's say a, a traumatic event happens to you and you repress that son of a monkey's uncle because, you know, you don't want to remember it. You don't need to remember it. And then someone brings it up. It triggers that memory and you haven't dealt with it. And it's just like, oh, my gosh. Oh, my God. You know, you start to panic and freak. Yeah. And now we have someone who is already in isolation and a homebody and overprotective. Now you have this this weird paranormal mess happening, which at first you don't want to believe. And the cool thing about this is, and this is why I really like this movie, it's the silence. Mm. It's a very eerie silence about it. It's a very quiet movie. And the things that are happening, we can't tell 
if it's happening in her head right away or if it's actually outside influence. And that's, like I said, throughout this entire show, that's what happens when you deal with ghosts and spirits. You, you question your sanity. You question yourself, like, is this legit? Or am I just going crazy? And with the little kids speaking to Victor, I think the, the one who was alive yeah. and, and they're speaking to him and he's like, what? We moved here. Like, who are you? <laughs> you're ghosts. You're not <laughs> supposed to be here. Like, no, you're the ghost. And they tell the mom and every, I mean, I think it's just such a brilliant, weird turnaround. Um, in, in that sense, while Grace is just doesn't know what's happening and she's getting more irritated, I want to say, and and losing herself more and more. And that could possibly be what happens uh, with uh, with ghosts. And then saying that, you know, this is interesting because he'll bring up something I'll explain. Mm -hmm. They're living the same life over and over. You know, like, and who knows how long it, they've been living course, yeah. in... 1945 in their their mind who knows and to the point where you know you might say oh it's just residual energy uh which if if they were really clever they would have said this was residual energy this actually isn't happening um for those of you who don't know residual energy we're all made up of energy and we leave energy behind wherever we go we touch something energy goes into it, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. Residual energy is, think of it like a projection of our lives playing out, even though we're not actually there. It's just the energy we leave behind doing whatever it was we were doing with said energy. So not intelligent spirits, but just living life. Yeah. Um, so it, it's just, it's crazy how good they got that unintentionally though. Um, and the subtleness of it, because, again, it's almost like it's trying to make it seem like she's losing her mind. But at the same time, maybe she isn't. Yeah, you've, you've got the, um, the dichotomy of uh, is there something supernatural is going on in her house? Is it all in her head? And I suppose, you know, watching it for, for the first time, you're not going to be thinking, well, actually, she is the supernatural, the paranormal you know, entity, no. you know, it's, you're experiencing it from her, her perspective, but you're not ever initially without knowing the film going to assume that that perspective is, you know, deceased. It's, it's very, right. very clever. It's very clever. It is. I mean, and different from the sixth sense, I, I think, um, different enough anyway, yeah. <laughs> but you, you, you went in there already, like you, you probably had an inkling because you saw the sixth sense first. Um, me, uh, it was the other way around. I saw this first, and then I saw the Sixth Sense. Yeah. So I, I think when I'd seen them, like uh, Sixth Sense was very huge for its for its twist ending and and whatnot. And I think I was I was probably much much younger and didn't really have the same sort of patience that I do for a for a <laughs> slow burn uh, psychological uh, type film. And as soon as I, as soon as I have an inkling that the film's going to have a twist, it kind of almost puts me off. Even if that twist can be good, 
I um I start thinking, oh, it's a twist for a twist's sake, without you know, which is kind of a bit disparaging to to the general narrative because in this film, you know, it definitely does it definitely does seem like one I should I should definitely watch again. Um, and I maybe just was too too young and naive at the time to really appreciate uh, to really appreciate it because it does sound very good. Yeah, I, I thought it was a good film, and um, they did a seance, a seance in there, which, which was interesting. Uh, I've seen seances, and they didn't actually show it from the perspective of the people, of course. They showed it from the perspective of the ghosts, and I thought that was so interesting because the woman uh the older yeah that's right the older woman searching for him is creepy and scary looking yeah and it's like wow is this how they perceive us because we really don't know how they perceive us exactly uh we we might have a small inkling every now and then but we don't truly know we might look hideous and villainous or we we might look like angels um yeah you know, so it, it's very interesting. Yeah. But um, I, I'll add real quick when it comes to seances, though, the more people there, the more energy that is being given off, the more likely the results. But it could have negative consequences because now you you can almost be irritating a spirit that's there. And which we actually saw Grace got irritated. Yeah. She got she actually got irritated and um, it will cause them to lash out and do things to try and get you like, no, I'm going to get you like you're you're done for now. So seances, while powerful, especially in a group, a, a large group they can have negative effects. And if you don't exercise that spirit or get it to leave or whatever, or make peace with it, then it could cause an escalation in activity. I guess one kind of final, uh, <clears throat> final question on the subject of seances. Um, and you always see representations of it in, in, uh, in different types of films. And yeah, it's normally from the perspective of people doing it and, Things are crashing around and whatnot. I guess my question is: Bear in mind, I've never really, you know, I've, I've been on one one ghost hunt where there was a kind of a, a type of séance, but more of a, I guess, just a reading type thing. In séance or a Ouija board type setting, if they're looking to reach out and speak to, let's say, a particular individual, so I guess more of a séance than a, than a Ouija. Or maybe, but in an instance where a group is maybe looking to speak to a particular individual, um, what's the kind of the likelihood, from a, I guess from a hypothetical setting, that they get to talk to that individual compared to something nefarious, uh, picking up picking up the line of communication and uh, and taking the spot of what they're trying to talk to, if that makes sense. Yeah. Um. Okay, so I'll I'll split this in two since you mentioned a Ouija board or basically spirit boards. Um, with a spirit board, uh, you 
you have to, if you're going to use one, you have to know who you want to contact and you have to have that intent set. And it's usually good to set some type of ground rules. However, ultimately a spirit board is very much like blind, uh, blind dialing a number on a telephone. You, you know, you don't know who's going to be on that other side. So without rules set up, without intent, without actually having a visualization of who you want to speak to, then chances are you're going to get something else. Not necessarily nefarious, but you'll get something else than what you really want. Plus, whatever you're trying to contact, they might have already moved on. Maybe they don't want to talk. Like, go away. Leave me alone. Okay, you know? Yeah. Sense. Now, as far as a seance, since it's a bit more controlled, usually you have to have some type of um, personal item of whatever it is that you're trying to contact with. And then, even then, it has to be in that location. So, for instance, you want to speak to Grandma Joe. Well, Grandma Joe might have moved on, and you can do all the seances and have this personal item as much as you want. That doesn't mean you can't pick up on her energy she left behind and get information like that. But as far as actually contacting her, no, uh, she's moved on. Uh, but because you are just trying to contact her, I won't say something will come in and pretend to be her in a seance and hijack it. But something else can come forward because you are opening that door. Right. And you can't control who comes in and who comes out. You can control who you speak to. You could say, no, I'm not speaking to you. Leave. But you can't control who comes in or comes out, especially at a certain location. Uh, does yeah, that make yeah. sense? Yeah, I mean, yeah, that, that kind of makes sense because I just, I normally kind of think, I, I guess I didn't really consider, you could have those aspects where, like you say, you're you're trying to speak to a particular individual, but that individual isn't lingering around they've they've moved on um and uh you also still will have an element of control if something comes through that you're not looking to talk to you can just say you know go away we're not talking to you no, that makes sense mm -hmm. yeah so it, it's always good though to have a personal item of whoever it is you're trying to contact not saying people should do this but if you were, ha at least have a personal item so you can somewhat anchor in the energy a bit better instead of going in like an idiot and like, oh, yeah, ooh, <laughs> let's see what happens. Picking up a phone like you're and, saying, dialing any old number and yeah. hoping you get the right person. And it's very important that you freaking hang up. If it doesn't feel right, it's not right on a board or whatever, goodbye. I'm not speaking to you. You can't be here. You do not have my permission. Leave. You're done. And, you know, um, I would say sage and, or use some Palos Altos. Flip the board over. That's it. Whatever you guys do, don't freaking burn the son of a monkey's <laughs> uncle. That's the, one of the worst things you can do. Why, why, is, uh, why is it bad to burn it? Because uh, you're opening up a portal. And if you burn the board, that portal is still open. It's not closed. Now you can't close it. 
So now anything can come through and visit, you know, just say, hey, I see you in the bathroom, <laughs> you know, so just don't don't burn the board. If, you, if you're going to decide to use a Ouija board, which we don't, you know, we don't advise, uh, don't burn it afterwards. Yeah, don't don't be stupid, <laughs> you know, just uh, if need be sage, palos altos, turn it over and get rid of it if you really want <laughs> so. well excellent mal i think that i think that does it for uh for the others and for uh for the films for the evening so um we'll talk about next week on the ministry of horror um we're going to be finally doing a watch along with retro chats host andy evans uh we're going to be looking at the x-files episode which has been discussed in this show, uh, in the Discord, number of times we're finally getting to it. It's the season four, episode two, episode of the X Files, Home. Uh, I'm very excited for this because I've not seen it for a very long time, but I love the episode. And Andy hasn't seen it before at all. Um, I will just preface: it's going to be a similar watch along to uh, to the Escape the Undertaker. I obviously can't stream for copyright reasons the episode on the stream, but we'll do like a synced up watch along. So you know hit play three two one and then me and andy will be talking about the episode as it goes on little introduction about the x-files as a show uh and uh de de-escalating and discussing discussing it uh you know in in detail um obviously we've got andy's retro chat is on uh, on wednesday uh, i believe lawrence is doing some red dead uh wednesday night is that uh, is that right crimson mail Yep, Red Dead Redemption. Red Dead Redemption, excellent. I caught one of the streams the uh, the other week. Um, I mean, it's an excellent game anyway, but really, really entertaining stuff. And uh, Ministry of Slam, as always, Sunday evenings. Mal, talk talk about uh, talk about unexplained possibilities. Yeah, so if you are into the paranormal, supernatural, occult, or just anything different, then guys definitely want to check out Unexplained Possibilities on YouTube, home of the Unexplained Possibilities podcast, where I speak to different people from the occult world, whether they're paranormal investigators, uh, witches, sorcerers, uh, crystal people, metaphysics, all that fun stuff. Uh, even had a Scientologist on. Really? <laughs> yes. And uh, if you can't catch it on YouTube, don't worry. The podcast is on Spotify and Apple Podcasts, all those places. Uh, coming up, though, it's going to be me reviewing, funnily enough, season two of The X-Files. Oh, So that, that will be up next week. I'm also reviewing a book on chaos magic by Peter Carroll. Uh, lib uh, oh, gosh, that's not good. I can't remember the name. Liber, liver something. Hold up. What is that? Liber Knoll. There we go. <laughs> Liber Knoll, um, that will be up next week. And uh, I'm starting a new thing now on Sunday mornings. I think I'm going to call it Breakfast with Mel or Sunday morning hanging with Mel. And it's just me on my couch and chatting with you on Sunday morning. Excellent. So all that on Unexplained Possibilities. Oh, excellent. Um, and uh, Mel, where can people find you on uh, on socials? Uh, so you can find us on Facebook, Twitter, Reddit, and Instagram, and it's all unexplained possibilities. Excellent, excellent. Well, thank you very much, uh, Mal, for coming on the show. We've had a great, uh, a great chat. 
Uh, I've got some rewatching of some films to do and uh, definitely some <laughs> uh, some research. And I think we'll definitely have to look at doing something talking about uh, talking about cults at some point in the future. Oh yeah. Um, yeah, I I agree. I uh, just want to obviously also shout out to the chat. Thanks, um, you know, uh, Fran the Cannon. He said, fascinating chat. Uh, Erratic Agents dropped by. Uh, Carrie's cool. Um, everyone's been in the chat. The Gruff as well. Uh, yeah, it's been a really cool show. And um, remember to check us out on Facebook, Ministry of Horror. Uh, Twitter, Ministry underscore Horror. And uh, Discord is Ministry dash of dash Horror. Uh, podcast i'm gonna be hopefully getting online this evening if not it'll be on uh, tomorrow spotify uh spotify and apple podcast and we'll also be on the mos network feeds for both uh from myself and from mel good evening we'll see you later